many of our programs in the country have to do with that one-way approach. Show a tarp, show an infographic, set it loose upon the social media sphere and expect people to understand. I read this exchange among people who work in public health. They said, maybe we should use TikTok because it's a different way of getting in touch with people. Actually, it's not. It's still one way. You just used a video. Yeah. You're still there. You're preaching. You're just a teacher with a video and a different platform. It's still one way. Some people want that discussion. They want that interaction with someone. They want to talk to someone. And this speaks to a different kind of science com, the conversational one. The Ask Theory podcast shines the spotlight on Pinoy scientists from various scientific disciplines. Listen to some of the country's best scientific minds as they explain what they do in simple terms and share fascinating stories of how they got into science, the incredible things they've learned about the world around us, and so much more. Hi, Inez, and welcome to the Ask Theory podcast. Good morning, Miko. Good morning from the kingdom of Pasay, from the really noisy doggies and the noisy planes <laughs> overhead. Yes, thank you for having me. Yes, and you're very much welcome from the kingdom of Pasig. <laughs> where <laughs> where there are... good leader. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, with a good leader and very few noisy dogs. Thankfully, yeah, a few noisy dogs today. Minsan meron, pero today seems to be a good day for a a conversation about science. I would argue that every day is a good day for a conversation about science, but particularly a conversation with you about science and science communication. I'm really flattered that it's a conversation with me that will take center stage because I really think that every day is a good day to have a conversation about science because it's something that happens in everyday life. It's not something that's just cooped up in the laboratory. But yes, yes, let us have this conversation about science. Let's do this. Yes, I love how you put that because I always say na, you know, people tend to think about science as just a subject or something and that you do in a laboratory. But I really want people listening to this podcast. Well, everyone, uh, sana lahat nakikinig, no? pero everyone who tunes into the Ask Theory podcast to understand that science is life. Science is part of everyday life. It's not just in your textbooks. It's not just a complicated subject that you have to review for or to get high grades in or something. It really is part of everyday life. It makes our life better. And you know, it helps us better understand ourselves and the world around us. So it's really important to talk about science and the people who are working in their respective scientific fields. So today, like you said, the spotlight will be on you. So let's start by talking about your journey. How did you fall in love with science and what are the things that are keeping you busy right now? Wow, that's going to take several podcasts, but okay, I'll do my <laughs> best. <laughs> okay. uh, I think a lot of us who got into science tend to love it, not because of the things that we found out, but because of the way we found them out. And that speaks so much to the way that science is done. And it's part of my advocacy in life that we all look at science as a process. So let me talk about that because I think I've overlayered too many questions. When I was a kid, I'd say around eight, nine, ten years old, can't remember. I used to watch this show at 4 p.m. on afternoons. 
National Geographic Discovery. I don't know if I have it right. I'm probably mixing up the two channels. But it was a show that aired at 4 p.m. just in time for me to watch and look and listen and have an idea of what research was being done out there. You know, that's great for a kid, a kid who likes reading and who is, you know, fascinated by research, by the world, by nature. That's a great venue to find out about new things, things that they can't do. Why am I talking this way? Things that we can't do. It was my first introduction to DNA, that show at 4 p.m. on an afternoon. I saw it for the first time, DNA. Oh, granted, I did not see the DNA. I saw a model of DNA. And the show said it was discovered at the so-and-so time. This was its structure. All living things have it. Everybody has DNA and it expresses proteins that make us who we are. And this fascinated me because I couldn't understand how all of this fit. And I say it was my very first introduction because I was introduced to DNA a few years later in second year when we took up genetics and I've fallen in love with genetics ever since. Now, I fell in love with science via that route, that route of seeing discoveries made by others in a laboratory. So I wanted to do that too, to be in a lab, to discover great things, to discover new things. That's the process I liked. Now, bakit? Because as a kid, I just loved reading. I loved discovering different worlds. It could have been a fiction book. So I would have read all sorts of you know, fiction from the English or the French or the Germans or the Russians, of course, all in English, all translations, but they still provided a lens into another world. And then if I read books like Time Life, the whole science series, or Omni Magazine or Discovery Science Magazine, it was a window into another world as well. So I was getting a glimpse into another reality. It was like being told a story of how something was discovered. And I think that's what really hooked me on science, that there's a process, that there's a system of discovery. And you're almost like on an adventure, but not getting your feet wet and hands dirty a la Indiana Jones. Although I like Indiana Jones as well. I like that adventure, except you're in a lab. So I think what really hooked me was that seeing another world and feeling that sense of discovery that you're looking at another world and you're discovering it little by little. And, you know, that's invigorating. It feels like you're, I hate to say this, it feels like you're a God looking down on your creation and going, hmm, I wonder what I can do here. I wonder what I can find. And I think that's what got me hooked. When I got into science in college, I think that's what kept me, that sense of discovery. But slowly, and I took molecular biology and biotechnology in college. See, so I still love genetics. And I took it for master's. But I slowly realized that being in the laboratory could only work for a few months. You know, you're there, you're standing, you're discovering. But I was itching to go elsewhere, almost like an Indiana Jones. Like, you know, really not so much field work, but just go out and do something. And running parallel to all this was the fact that as a kid, I was a writer. I've always been a writer. I've always been a fictionist and a novelist. And in high school, I was honed as a debater and a public speaker. So all of this was happening in parallel with me falling in love and staying in love with science. Then after college, as I was doing research work in the laboratory, suddenly we 
the Philippines then, by we, I mean the Philippines, we had a BT corn. Ah, yes. Remember? Yeah, that's uh, yes. like a long ways away ago, like when you were a toddler. So BT corn came out and the backlash was awful. It was farmers against big companies, civil society groups against scientists. It wasn't as loud as the furor that is happening today because of COVID, but it was big enough so that even our funding was affected. So we had to travel the country as a faculty to talk about genetically modified organisms. I was part of that. I spoke about genetically modified organisms. I could feel the difference between the fun of the laboratory and the fun of public speaking and talking. The fun of the lab was a bit short-lived. I love the process, but when I got my answer, it was okay. It wasn't as fulfilling as being on stage and talking. So I thought, hey, maybe this is my calling, communication. And I thought communication was all about writing and all about public speaking. Then I realized, wait a minute, something's off. I can hear farmers telling me that I'm wrong. I can hear these civil society groups telling me, you shouldn't be sleeping well at night because you're in the pocket of multinationals. Well, you know, to me, that was so strange because I wasn't even being paid for what I was doing and I still couldn't sleep at night. Thanks, MS. But to tell the truth, it disturbed me on a very vain level. I thought, I've got the prettiest slides. I've put on the prettiest clothes. I've edited my speeches. I've really made myself so attractive as a speaker. Not that kind of attractive, sorry. You know, someone who could appeal to your good senses. Why are you not listening? And it frustrated me. But at that time, I was already working as a science communication specialist because I was trying my writing wings out at a non-government organization based inside Erie in Los Baños. So I was always sitting at the desk or standing on stage and talking or writing, you know, always, it was always a one-way thing. And I kept on thinking, you know, why aren't they listening to me? Why don't they like what I'm saying? So I went on to my PhD in science communication at Purdue. And my job then, my aim at least, my aim was I'm going to make people listen. I'm going to make them want science. And on my very first day at Purdue, I was smack right in the middle of a sociology class and I wanted to cry because I couldn't understand what was going on. It was so difficult. I was put in a basic sociology class for graduate students who didn't have a degree or background in sociology. Yeah, it was my very first time to really read top three dead white guys. Max Weber Durkheim. Yeah, that's the nickname in sociology anyway. Max Weber Durkheim, the fathers of modern sociology or at least the fathers of some kind of sociology in their own regard. And that's when I realized I'd been wrong all this time. And I had to restart another voyage of discovery, because this time I discovered the social sciences, that they're a science, they're systematic, they ask questions, they ask very deep questions about society. And all the assumptions I'd ever made about people were wrong. They weren't listening because... I wasn't attractive. That was beside the point. They might not have been listening because they didn't have the scaffolding to. They already came with their own preconceptions that are clouded by the fact that they do have a livelihood. And I will never be able to reach that reality because I have never lived that reality. They might come in with the intent of hurting. Sige, bayaran. But that's such a minor, such a tiny piece of the puzzle because human decision-making is so incredibly complex. 
And all this time, I was wrong about science com because I oversimplified people. When I left PhD, when I was done after four years at Purdue, I came back and went to Ateneo de Manila University, first as a climate change communication specialist for the Manila Observatory, and then as an associate professor at the Department of Communication. I've taught science communication since then, and I've advised several theses on a variety of topics, but I always fall back on science communication as my expertise and as research, because that is the job of a professor to do a lot of research. And I've always fallen back on research because, again, it's a glimpse into another world. And I keep on going back to that time when I was eight years old, looking at that DNA molecule and wondering, what is that? It's so pretty. That's me once again, looking at people. What is that? That's so strange. Why are they doing this? Why are they behaving this way? I fell in love with science because it asked questions without assuming what the answers were. And that was true for genetics. That was true for the social sciences. And that's true for me today in research. I can't ask yes or no questions. That isn't research. That's just, you know, confirmation bias, fetus form. Research is what keeps me busy today, especially research in science comm and risk communication, how people understand science, how they connect it with decision making, how they make meaning of risk, of hazard, of complex terms like climate change, of complex phenomena like the weather. I also do side research on the nature of nationalism and how people talk about nationalism and what it means to fight for the country and what it means to be Filipino. I guess I do that because, again, it's a glimpse into our culture. It's a glimpse of our culture via the language we use. And I've always been fascinated by language and how people use it. These are the things that keep me busy. Research, teaching, of course, because it's also part of the job. Oh, goodness. And dare I say administrative work because I have to be a boss of some sort. The boss of some sort has to do with helping out graduate students. So that's the admin part. But the favorite part, my favorite part at least of all this is both the research and the public speaking engagements. So there are a lot. I have to talk about science and Most people don't even know what it is or they do know what it is. They just haven't given a name to it. So yeah, so it's been a whirlwind. Oh goodness, 22 years of career, 21, 22 years of career, half my life of career. And it's still going back to that same eight, nine, 10 year old kid watching the DNA molecule and asking, what is this? And it's a question that haunts me every time. So yeah, that's what drives me. And that's what keeps me busy. Not sure if you want to add this in, but I'm also a belly dancer. So I, <laughs> I teach belly dance. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I also write a novel. So that's it. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot to take in. And I mean that in the best way possible. <laughs> but to focus on one aspect of everything you talked about, specifically science communication in the Philippines. And I don't mean to generalize. I just want to really get your thoughts on this. What can you say about the state of science communication here in the Philippines? I mean, you've explained that a little bit, but maybe can you tell us a bit about what you think we are doing right and what we are doing wrong? I will first start with himayanizing, making himay, <laughs> the right versus wrong part. I wouldn't say there is a right or wrong because I'm approaching this from the point of view of a researcher. There is neither right nor wrong, only good or bad justification. So there isn't something right because it's going to be right for all time. It will be right for a specific group of people. Yes. 
okay, and wrong because we're trying to use all the old tools on a group of people we know nothing about. So allow me to talk about that. When I said that I came from a culture of let's just teach people about science and then we expect them to make decisions, I think that comes from a very science-driven culture. And when I say science-driven, it's by scientists who were taught all these lessons in a classroom. So they're always used to learning in a classroom setup. You know, books, sit down, listen to teacher. When you're all done, let's have a quiz. Or when you're all done, let's write a paper. Or when you're all yeah. done, let's have an exam. And when you know all this, good. Let's move on to the next the lesson. The next lesson. Yeah. This is a one-way thing. It's a one-way, everybody listen to me. <laughs> everybody sit down. Everybody be quiet. I'm the expert. Yeah. Now, that's going to work in the classroom. But I've seen it practiced even outside the classroom by well-meaning scientists. Because, you know, this is the way they were taught, the way they were socialized. And you can't fault them for it because this is the way they learned. And they often use that technique, but not necessarily on the people that need it. It might work with school kids, okay? If you want to teach school kids about science, they're used to that setup of sitting while listening to the teacher. But for an older audience, for audiences who have to deal with complicated situations that are not just about science, but that carry with them economic, financial, personal, political values, there might not be merit. Okay, let's just say merit. There might not be merit in making them sit down and just listen to the facts of science. Because let's face it, not everybody uses facts to make a decision. Mm -hmm. In fact, I could argue, in fact, no. In fact, I could <laughs> argue that some people don't even use facts to make some decisions that are actually science-based. And I use this classic example. You know that a burger is bad for you. Yeah. You know that it's got high fat, high cholesterol, high saturated fat, high everything that isn't good, high sodium. Throw mm -hmm. in the entire periodic table of bad <laughs> things that would be bad for you. Have you stopped eating burgers? Have you? Have people stopped? No, they still do it because there is a justification for it. Oh, Minsan lang naman. Celebration. Celebration. Mahaba ang pila sa kabila. Hindi ka kain kami ng burger. Nagmamadali. Where is the science there? There was no nutrition. There was no consideration of the levels of nutrients. You can argue all you want about putting vegetables in a diet. But human nature does not always rely on facts. So there are issues and there are groups that we cannot target with just the one-way classroom-based approach. So that's my way of answering the question. Many of our programs in the country have to do with that one-way approach. Show a TARP, show an infographic, set it loose upon the social media sphere yeah. and expect people to understand. Wait for it to go viral. Yeah, that'll, yeah, that'll definitely go teach viral. people. Yeah, and but the funny thing is, I heard this, uh, no, I didn't hear this exchange. I read this exchange among people who work in public health. And they said, maybe we should use TikTok because it's a different way of getting in touch with people. Actually, it's not. It's still one way. You just used a video. Yeah. You're still there. You're preaching. You're just a teacher with a video and a different platform. It's still one way. Some people want that discussion. They want that interaction with someone. They want to talk to someone. And this 
speaks to a different kind of science com, the conversational one, the one where the scientists don't necessarily have to wield the power, but they share it with people so that they understand how people make decisions and people understand how scientists think. Here's an example. I was invited a few months ago by a major med school in the Philippines to give a talk. And when I spoke with one of the students, he said, ma'am, we want you to talk about how we can create good information materials for our patients. And I was thinking, wait a minute, what does that even mean? You're a doctor. So what do you want your patients to do? So they thought, ma'am, maybe you could teach us about how to make a good poster, how to make a good infographic, how to make a good brochure. And I go, okay, what led you to this question? What exactly told you that this is the best way to reach out to your patients? So he told me a story and he said he was at, I don't remember whether it was a clinic or a public health center. He was talking to a patient and he was showing this patient a poster on nutrition. And they had a conversation about nutrition. And the doctor was showing this patient this lovely poster with all the nutritional information. And they were talking about how to feed her kids, this patient. They were talking about how to feed her kids good food. And the funny thing was he kept on saying, yeah. And because of that poster, I was able to talk to this person well. And this person said, yeah, I'm going to feed my kids good vegetables. And, you know, she walked away and she's now a better mom or something like that. Uh And I go, okay, so why exactly do you think she walked away with a good idea? He goes, it must have been a really good poster. And I'm like, are you sure it was are the you, poster? Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. And he goes, because I was using the poster. I'm like, yeah, but what exactly were you doing with her? Was she just looking at the poster? No, ma'am. I was discussing things with her. How did you discuss it? How did you carry out that discussion? Oh, I asked her questions about her life. And she asked me questions about, oh, ma'am. <laughs> he went quiet. In the Zoom call, I had to hide my video because I was laughing so hard. I'm like, that's exactly what I was talking about. It's a conversation. You could have thrown out that graphic. The person would have still talked to you. That person would have walked out as well. You could have a pretty graphic, but you were at the center. So the graphic wasn't for her, for the mom. It was for you to remember what you were supposed to think about. Yes. It wasn't a communication tool. So what are we doing in quotes right? We have good programs, good graphic designers, good information designers, and they can reach out to some groups. In quotes, wrong. We might need to go beyond graphics and info and showing off infographics. We might need more research into these different audiences and how they respond to different issues. Because the way we treat nutrition should not be the way we treat natural hazards, which are a different breed of issue altogether. It should not be the way we treat climate change, which is a long-term issue. It shouldn't be the way we treat COVID, which is a sudden, unprecedented issue where everybody sees the sausage-making of science. We might need to innovate on both the practice and the research front, but I think research has to drive that practice. And one last note on that, very few people recognize that COM is a social science, that communication is a social science. It requires an understanding of social flows of power, of how people understand phenomena, of who people are. You can't just create a material. It doesn't become a communication material until it's backed by research. Without the research that backs up its use, its feasibility, and its content, it's just a piece of paper. 
So I think that's my take on it. It's neither right nor wrong, but it's lacking in some parts and it needs help in others. Science gone in the Philippines. It needs help through research and it has to go beyond the classroom style of sending out and disseminating information because it's more than dissemination. I want to thank you for bringing that up because while you were talking about this, I was just nodding. You can't see because there's no video, but I was really just, <laughs> just nodding and just I had to keep stopping myself from saying yes because, you know, the microphone will pick all of that. But every time I get the opportunity to talk to students or, or anyone who'd listen about science communication, I always tell them that science communication has to be a science conversation. Like exactly the words you use. It's not like a top-down information flow. It just doesn't work that way, especially not here in the Philippines. There has to be like that element of exchange because when you encourage people to be more participative, when you encourage them to ask questions, that's when you're really facilitating the learning experience. So you're right. You can have the prettiest materials to look at, but, and I'm speaking from experience, like the materials I use for lectures, I think they help me more than they help <laughs> the people who listen to me because when I look at the, ano nga bang, ano nga bang pag-uusapan? Ah, nga pala, ito yung picture nung daga. So I have to talk about <laughs> lab mice and etc. But you know, without those visualizations, I would probably lose my track of thinking because I would be talking and talking and talking about this, this one topic and really getting into it. And I would just forget what comes next. But because of those visual aids, I can just look and say, okay, okay, so I have to stop, talk about this one next. But the kids who listen to me, they really learn uh, from me and they learn from the question and answer portion. Because there's always like a Q&A at the end. And I find that there is no shortage of people who want to ask questions. I always like expect that no one would want to ask because ah, gusto na lang lahat ng tao umuwi. Gusto na lang nilang matapos tong Zoom na to. Bakit ba inuubos itong taong to yung oras ko? But I'm surprised. Like, and I get similar questions because these are different audiences. So I get similar questions like, ano po ba ang epektibong paraan to communicate science? Ano ba yung pinakamahirap na challenges, ganyan, ganyan. But you are really seeing that they are interested. Hindi sila nagtatanong lang for the sake of, ay, gigradean to, kailangan ko magtanong. I've observed this tendency and I hope na anyone listening wouldn't take this like the wrong way. But I've observed this tendency that we tend to fall in love with platforms nga. We, we really tend to like fall in love with the shiny stuff. Parang, ah, TikTok is, wow, may mga nutritionists sa TikTok, may mga doctors sa TikTok, tara, mag-TikTok tayong lahat. Ito na ang bagong paraan para mag-communicate ng science. And I applaud the people who find that the platform is really effective for them because I think yung communication styles talaga ng mga tao, pwede mong ibagay sa platform and that can help you become a better science communicator. But really, the focus should not be on the shiny new platform or the shiny new way of doing this and that. Tama eh, kailangan natin i-examine yung how we are presenting, how we're treating the task of communicating science. Maybe look deeper into, kasi if you look at naman the evidence, or kahit, alam ba ako, if I look at all of the instances where I was able to talk to people about science, I can see patterns. I can see things that work or really resonated with people depending on the type of audience. And maybe we can start there instead of just saying na, ah, video seems to be really working right now. Let's shift our entire focus to video. Oh my gosh, if only you could see me now. I too am nodding. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh goodness, that's why I kept saying, yes, exactly. Oh, and I like how you said that. Now we fall in love with platforms and we keep on thinking it's the new thing. But the thing about platforms, and I think most of these platforms, is that they are one way. 
they really are yeah. one-way flows of information. And people might argue, no, but we can chat on Facebook. No, <laughs> you could chat on Facebook, but you still don't have that face-to-face discussion because people police themselves online. Try as we might. They yeah. have a different face online. Talk to them in person. Not everybody is going to be nasty in person the way they are on Facebook. Conversely, not everyone is nice in real life compared to how they are sometimes nice online. So it's a different world. It's actually multi-layered and multi-faceted off the platforms because the platforms really allow you to exercise your calm, but not the exchange. So they allow you to hone different skills, like, you know, be cool on TikTok or be smart (laughs) on Twitter, but concise or be smart and talk all you want on Facebook. Sure. But beyond all this, there's still platforms that are one way. And it's a very different skill to talk to people. And I think it's something we felt in this pandemic that we became so lonely. We thought that all these platforms would save us. And I think all of us are still looking for that conversation yeah. Hence the Zoom, but even that is lacking. So you're right. I really like that. I'm kind of stuck on the whole idea of we fall in love with platforms. It's <laughs> true. We do fall in love with platforms and the idea that we have technology. And I think it's something that the leaguers as well, our educational system, they spend so much money on technology, but they haven't invested in a curriculum that makes students actually learn and that measures the learning. It's an onslaught of technology. Yes. A side note on technology, some of my students actually don't like it when they are made to learn on TikTok because it's their space for having fun. Mm -hmm. So invading that space with learning is like saying, hey, we're still here. You're like that really obnoxious (laughs) clown that suddenly pops up in the middle and goes, hi, I'm still here. I'm going to make you learn. And the kids run away. (laughs) it doesn't always work (laughs) I remember this meme parang I I, I don't know the show oh man I don't know the show but it's this elderly man dressed up like a teenager and he's holding a skateboard and the meme is like hello fellow kids I get that vibe sometimes from TikTok I'm not saying all of them like there might be some TikTok educators here please don't hurt me but I get that vibe from some of them which is why I feel that the platform doesn't work for me personally (laughs) when I want to learn about something, kasi parang, it really has that hello fellow kids vibe. Yeah, but that's okay. I mean, here's the thing though. I love it that people are doing podcasting. I love it that people are using TikTok, but let's not think that it's the only solution we've got. It'll solve everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we tend to fall into that trap, especially now when it's so comforting to think, oh, let's just do something to solve our problems. Let's just, you know, have something in this needle Oh, in this syringe that we can plunge into people and they'll all change their ways because we're also tired of having people, you know, believe in all these conspiracy theories. But it doesn't work that way. Decision making really is quite complex. So, yes, go ahead with the TikTok and the podcasting and the YouTube series and whatever you've got, but temper your expectations because sometimes people might listen and then in a few minutes will go off and do something else. Go ahead. It's fun. It's it's nice. It's a good way to get to a certain segment of your audience. But of course, it's not going to always work the way that you think it will. And that's fine. Maybe it'll be an opportunity for research to really see who the audience is. 
i-survey mo ang mga nakikinig sa'yo, interviewin mo ang mga nakikinig sa'yo, ask them about what they're learning and what they think science is. Malay mo, may paper ka, o di ba? May publication ka na, may TikTok ka pa, o di ba? <laughs> yeah. Hanggang ano yan, uh, killing two birds with one stone. Oo, oh, yeah. di ba? Oo, oh, may kinita ka na nga sa paper, meron ka pa, may video ka pa, o di ba? May cloud ka pa, may cloud ka oh. pa on TikTok. The interesting thing about this is, I just want to bring up two things that I just thought about when I was listening to you because you really hit the nail on the head and made some good points. Like the first one is that I've noticed a lot of podcasters and sometimes ako rin, I fall into the trap of parang, oh man, 1,000 listens na, 1,000 plays na tong episode na to. Because I've been doing this for almost a year now and I've learned a few things. I'm not like the expert on podcasting, but I've learned a few things. And so napansin ko na a lot of people, a lot of podcasters focus on plays listens, how many people click the episode. But they don't pay that much attention to how many people stay until the end. Because that statistic is available for podcasters. Like you can look at the percentage of people who played this episode, who stayed until the middle and and just signed off, went somewhere else or stayed until the end. So I use that data as basis for how I can improve the episodes. Like, okay, so I only retained 33% of my audience in this episode. But This other episode, I was able to retain 75% of my audience. So what did I do here in this episode that affected that outcome? And what did I do in the other more successful episode that I can replicate in the other episode? So I think that's one thing that I want to share. And then the other thing is that since we were on the topic of science conversation, a while ago you mentioned that there's really like the interaction between the person speaking on TikTok or Facebook Live or YouTube and the audience is limited. You can comment, you can put in whatever words you want to put in there and say that that's the interaction. May nag-comment eh. So merong, may nakikinig. But really, you're right. It's it's really not an exchange per se because there's the filtering and then there's the delay. Wala yung immediate feedback. But also, I don't want to generalize, but I have a theory that maybe some people find it comfortable to speak on these platforms Because specifically, they know that any opposition or anyone who might have not so nice things to say would not reach them immediately. Walang mga sa kanila. No one can show them disrespect live in real time. No one can contradict the ideas immediately. And, you know, I'm not saying that that's true, but that's just something I thought of. Maybe it's true for some content makers. But the reason why I thought of that is because of a practice that is still part of Philippine culture. Not just Philippine culture. Well, a lot of online exchanges I've seen exhibit this, but we as Filipinos tend to really associate this with ourselves for some reason. And that's smart shaming. So I guess with that very long intro, I wanted to ask you, why do you think smart shaming is even a thing? Why do people smart shame? I love that long segue because I agree with everything completely. (laughs) It's fine. I was actually laughing because you're right. That's not something I've ever thought about before, that maybe it's a platform so that they can comfortably get into a quarrel without having (laughs) to to face somebody else. (laughs) Here's the old versus the new way of thinking, perhaps. The old way, smart shaming. When I was younger, like back when you were a toddler, when I was younger, I was told not to sound so smart because it could be conflated with arrogance. And I still have that sickness right now. You know, yung tipo, marunong ako eh. Ano ba makinig ka naman? (laughs) Back then, people wouldn't speak up against you, not because they were more tactful, but because they 
have more time to make chismis behind your back. Okay? <laughs> it wasn't smart shaming. It was more of arrogant shaming. Uh-huh. Parang ang arrogante mo eh. Kayabang nito. Oh, yabang nito. <laughs> now, not all people who are smart are arrogant, but there are two things coming into play. When you show that you're being smart, you are automatically assumed to be arrogant because you're showing off that you have education and that others don't. There's that in person. In in the online world, providing facts is already seen as arrogant because the most arguments online are usually not built on facts as a way to create decision making. So often when anyone shows that they have information, it's almost automatically connected to nagpapakita to ng diploma niya. Mayabang to. So the smart shaming is probably conflated with arrogance shaming. It doesn't matter whether or not the person is arrogant, but the fact that that person shows that they know something, they're automatically judged. There are many dimensions to it. I am not the top researcher on smart shaming. So I don't have the empirical data and I haven't interviewed enough people to create the themes that would give me the generalization slash thematic or theoretical approach to tell you if this is right Mm -hmm. or if this is accurate. But it seems that there might be two things happening. One is they might not have a ready answer, so they might as well go after the person Uh ad hominem. It's common in so many arguments. It doesn't even have to be about smart shaming. It's common in many arguments when people don't know how else to debate. So they might as well just go for the ad hominem attack, which is the easiest. Not because it's easy to make, but because wala ka na maisip eh. Yun na yun. Ito na. Kasi bakit ang t-shirt mo eh? Si pangit ka. Mas pangit ka. So now we've become kids again. The kids who weren't trained in debate. It's easy eh. And it's facilitated by an online mechanism where we cannot interact with each other. Where we cannot see how the other person is reacting. Where you cannot be gentle and show that you are listening. Where all you have are words to represent you. So minsan, ang paglitaw niyan sa online kahit facts na feeling mo ang gentle-gentle mo, linagin mo na ng sang katutak na period at sang katutak na tamag sentence, dahil facts, nakita ng number, galit agad. Kasi wala na silang ipaglalaban. Okay. But there's another way to think of it as well. Maybe they come from the mentality that school is not something you carry around your entire life. That school is, you know, something you just need to go through. A necessary evil to get a job. And that those who stay in school are those with luxury. You know, who have the luxury of sitting around and thinking while those who are poor, downtrodden, who have had such a difficult time in life, they'd never had that chance. They never had that option to just sit around and think. So when we show off facts, or when we show facts, I'm sorry, when we show facts, it's sometimes misconstrued as showing off, not because we are showing off, but because facts are perceived as a weapon. Science becomes weaponized. Knowledge becomes ideologized. And it's their way of fighting back. They'll smart shame you na lang. Because you're looking down on them by showing them that they know nothing. So they're going to throw it right back at you. They don't care if you do know something. And it's a fight of ideologies rather than realities. It's a fight of... Here, I'm showing information not because I'm arrogant and trying to oppress you, but because maybe this will make the discussion clearer. 
And they who are on the other side think, aba, nagpapakita tong mayabang na to ng information, kala niya kung sino siya. Ayan na naman ang mga mayayaman na puro pag-iisip lang ang inatupag, hindi nila kami naiintindihan. So, it's an argument, it could well be an argument of ideologies. We're fighting against mirages, we're fighting against illusions of each other. And, you know, it's dangerous online, it's really quite dangerous online. Because we don't understand each other well. We don't understand each other well enough to know what the other person is thinking. And yet here we are jumping to conclusions and then hating each other. Again, I am not that person with the empirical data, but I perceive it as that because I've heard it in some of my other research fieldwork data. When I had to do FGDs with groups in different provinces, they would say, yeah, we hear about Pagasa, we hear about the info, but Pagasa isn't here to experience things with us. We will listen to our barangay captain. When he tells us to evacuate, we'll evacuate. And when we ask, what about the wind speeds? What about info on storms? Sige, okay yan, pero hindi nila nararamdaman ang nararamdaman namin. So it's not really smart shaming. It's not really a throwing out of the facts, but when It's a time of great risk and decision-making. The facts will have to take a backseat to the experience. They don't automatically get called into the conversation. And that's why they trust people around them. Mind you, some of these people were educated, ah, mga college graduates. Some of them nakapag-law school ng konti before they dropped out kasi walang pera. Pero they recognize that in their faraway places, Pag-asa is not going to be there to help them out. Pag-asa just gave them the info, but Pag-asa does nothing. So they have to, you know, make the decisions themselves. So you know, I think on the online world has made smart shaming much, much easier and much more brutal and vicious. Pero, diba, some people might be smart shaming perceived arrogance. And those who are smart shamed are perceiving it as oppression, but really we're all just fighting illusions of each other. I think it's not something we can control anymore. Because there really are people who don't like having to be taught again, because then it makes them feel like they're in the classroom and kinakawawa na naman sila because they don't know enough. And, you know, at that point, how are we going to even react? We can't pull away because to pull away from a good argument is also, and I'm talking in the abstract here, to pull away from a good argument where you can help people understand something is to also take the side of the oppressor because then you're leaving them to make bad decisions. And yet at the same time, when you come in, galit naman sila sa'yo, so nagagawit mo. So talagang wala kang magagawa. And people will say, we have to keep informing people. That's worse that actually backfires because now you're going to keep on teaching people and they're just so irita sa information because now they're being taught again. Binabalik sila sa classroom na naman. So it's starting to backfire for a lot of people, this entire information dissemination thing, which is why I think, you said it right kanina, conversation yan eh, usap tayo. Diba? Because the more that we just keep on feeding each other information, we just end up saying, no, read this, look at this, read that. Wait, what's my, oh, look at this beautiful infographic, bye. Ha? So anong investment mo doon? Again, there's no easy fix to it. People think we have to keep informing people. No, I think it's a culture change. It's really hard. It's really hard to change that culture by just putting up a TikTok page or making people read more, changing the curriculum. A lot of people say we have to just change the curriculum and make students learn more. That's great. Except what will you do when that student goes home, tells their parents, hey, this is what I learned in school. And the parents ignore them or don't encourage asking questions at home or even tell their kid, hmm, pang lang yan. 
iba sa buhay. Shoot them down, di ba? It's not so much smart shaming, but because they themselves grew up in that kind of environment na yung kultura natin, huwag mong i-question yung mga matatanda kasi nakatatanda sila sa'yo. Okay. Di ba? Ang iba yung kultura natin. Yeah. God. <laughs> Sandali na, bakit bak- bak- biglang nagalit? Okay. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> trigger patay patay patay, patay. <laughs> edit edit <laughs> we covered a lot of ground in this episode we talked about science communication we talked about smart shaming we talked about the reasons behind why it's so hard for people to change their minds and you know all of that really interesting stuff and I wish we had more time to talk no? but maybe we could have you here on the podcast in a future episode but for now I'd like to ask you, if anyone wanted to talk to you a bit more about the topics that we discussed in this interview, what would be the best way to reach out to you directly, get some questions answered? Telepathy. No, just kidding. Um, Telepathy. Wait lang ha, medyo busy eh. May, may, ano, may call waiting. May call waiting. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, one way is through email. Sorry, I know I, I sound like a, a really old gorilla when I say that. Wala man TikTok. Ay, bastos. Grabe siya. TikTok talaga. No. TikTok, I got it. I'm going to go to TikTok. Uy, wala. Yung mga tao na nagt-TikTok, okay lang. Go ahead, you guys. But don't expect na lang at oh, yeah, don't demonize the platform. Oo nga, wag naman. I, I mean, I appreciate naman namin tayong platforms. Pero yun, hindi lang siya yung iisang solusyon. Okay, wait. Kanina pa ako <laughs> nagdi-disclaimer. I'm actually better reached through my email because it's the one thing that's open while I'm checking a ton of papers. Okay. I'm at iponsodeleon at ateneo.edu. Mm-hmm. So I usually get emails there, not just from people who want to take up a discussion on science comments, certainly not just my hate mailers, <laughs> but I also get not man conversations, more of an invite, na parang, can you talk to us more as a group? If you'd like to invite me to talk about a different kind of science communication or of research in com, because I teach research in communication as well. If you want to talk to me about discussing stuff with your group, or if you want to exchange ideas, I'm at iponsodeleon at ateneo.edu. If you want to get a glimpse into my research, they're all on my website, including my novel. So parang if you want to see those different sides of me, I'm at inezpdl.com. That's Inez. So it's Ponce de Leon shortened to pdl.com. Mm-hmm. All right. Yon. So I'm usually m- more open to be on email because I can talk to people better that way. On Facebook, kasi I only visit when I need to like talk to people really quick for quick chats. So they're not built for long discussions. Uh-huh. Twitter, sige, pwede yung ako a message, but I'm not on Twitter all the time. I'm at inezpdl on Twitter. That's my Twitter handle. So I'm also on Twitter, but I'm not able to. And I like discussions because as, as if you couldn't tell, no? <laughs> I like discussions and conversations. So usually Twitter doesn't foster that. It fosters exchange of some ideas. Yeah. But for a discussion, I like the email and the conversation. Yun. I haven't missed and and yes of course telepathy if you so dare. <laughs> Kung may narinig ako kumakatok sa utak ko, I'm sure Kapag may ko try again uh, later. Uh, dial ulit. No, try again later. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you again. Thank you so much. I really really learned a lot from you. But I'm going to squeeze like one more piece of advice from you. If you have any 
like words of wisdom that you can share with our listeners or with aspiring science communicators out there, what would that nugget of wisdom be? I was about to say as well, I learned a lot from you as well because you had so many good insights and darn it, and dami ko na naman isusulat sa ibang column. <laughs> Those insights and the fact that I'm still learning a lot and it's you know, so great to talk to you about this because we're having an exchange of ideas. I think that's one advice. That's part of the advice that I want to give to anyone who wants to do science communication. The first is to think beyond dissemination, to think about the conversations that you could have and to be open to the exchanges of conversation. This means reaching out to people, listening to what they have to say, not because you want to change them, but because you want to find out more. There has to be a spirit of learning and listening that is constant and consistent. You cannot sit around in an armchair and create things and then just dis- disseminate and distribute. That leads me to the second lesson because they're kind of intertwined and I can't separate them. So sorry, I can't say exactly one thing. But you don't just have to be a lifelong learner, but you have to be open to research. Because science communication itself is a social sciences field. It's not a sit back, design, drop, go away. You do constant research. You can go into the stats of it. You can do the surveys, the large-scale surveys, the quasi-experiments. You can study the messages of ScienceCom or even the messages in ScienceCom, say in the movies. I love that. I wish I could publish research on that. <laughs> yeah. You can study people via FGDs or focus group discussions or via interviews. There's just so much to find out about people, which ties right back into lifelong learning. Yeah. So to those who want to go into science communication, note that it is not merely creation, it is research. And it's the research that fuels that creation. In order for you to do research, you need a sense of asking questions and a wonder, a wonder that allows you to keep on learning, even when you've earned your diploma, to keep on learning because every day is a lesson. Love it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Thank you so much. Me too. I have to write that down because I remember nothing of what I said. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of Ask Theory. Follow Flip Science on Facebook, at Flip Science PH on Twitter, and at Flip Facts on Instagram. And check out our official Shopee store if you want to get copies of our books, Historiang Scientifico and Science Scramble. Stay curious.